you want your child to see that not only are you talking about this, but that you are actively doing things to try and uh, combat racism. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 227. Today, we're talking about how to talk to kids about racial injustice with doctors Marietta Collins and Ann Hazard. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields, Mindful Mama Mentor. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting course and membership, and I'm the author of Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Welcome to the podcast, my dear friend. I hope this finds you well. I am so happy for you to be here today. We have an amazing episode. We are going to be talking about racial, how to talk about racial injustice. Uh, The protests around the world after the murder of George Floyd have shown us parents that we really need to be talking to our kids about racial inequality. But how do we do it, right? Many, many white parents feel really awkward and uncomfortable bringing it up at all. So in this episode, um, doctors Marietta Collins and Aaron Hazard who co-authored the book, Something Happened in My Town, share with us about how to talk to kids about this. And Anne Hazard, PhD, is a clinical psychologist, formerly on the faculty of Emory University in in Atlanta, Georgia, and she is the co-author of Something Happened in in Our Town, a child story about racial injustice. And Marietta Collins, PhD, is also a clinical psychologist, and she is at Morehouse School of Medicine, and she is also co-author of Something Happened in Our Town. So I want you to listen for some really important things, uh, how little kids can really understand concepts of racism and fairness. And they also talk about how you are going to say the wrong thing, and that's okay. We're still got to talk about it. And we can start with questions, you know, why did you think that might, why do you think that might happen? So this is going to be a powerful episode. I hope this episode is a powerful resource for you. Uh, It's important. It's really, really important that we talk about this. We've seen this not talking about these things. It has led to violence. Silence is violence. So it it starts in our homes. And so I invite you to go on this journey with me. Um, And before we dive in, I want to let you know that the Mindful Parenting Teacher Training is going to be opening. And uh, I'm so excited. People are reaching out. And I'm going to be certifying people to teach mindful parenting, how to calm our reactivity, and also then what to say to our kids to create cooperation in person in their communities. So exciting. So while we get our webpage up about this, in the meantime, if you're interested, you can email me at hunter at mindfulmamamentor.com. And that's all I have to share with you about right now. Um, I hope that you're safe. I hope that you're well. And 
let's take these really, really challenging times and and make them teachers to us, right? This is what we can do. So join me at the table as I talk to Drs. Marietta Collins and Anne Hazard. Thank you, Marietta and Anne, so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. Glad to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. I'm so glad to find you. Um, and your book, Something Happened in Our Town, is amazing. Um, I, I was wondering if you would, um, if you would be interested in describing the describing the book to us. Um, maybe Marietta, do you want to start us off? Describe the book and maybe how, you know, how you guys came about doing it a little bit. Okay, sure, sure. Um, again, the uh, name of the book is Something Happened in Our Town, a child story about racial injustice. And um, it's really, it's the story of um, two families, a white family and a black family. Um, the first sentence of the book is um, something happened in our town, I believe, or something bad happened in our town. Um, the grown-ups are talking about it. They don't think the kids knew, and the kids in this case are elementary age kids, you know, probably around, I would say, kindergarten to first grade. But the kids did know because they overheard the grown-ups talking about it, which is certainly very typical. So um, both of the kids, there's a, a white girl and a black boy, go home and talk to their families about what they overheard. And they'll, they say, um, why did the police shoot that black man? And that's what it's about. And the uh, families are, of course, a, little, a bit surprised that they even know this. And each family explains from the perspective of their races um, exactly what they talk about racism. They talk about the fact that the uh, police shot the black men and it was a mistake. And, you know, the white families explain what, uh, what, it, what a black man is to this little white girl because she thinks he looks brown, you know, not black. And um, she has an older sibling who's a sister who kind of knows it all. She's a teenager and she talks, you know, kind of initiates to talk about race. Um, you know, they go on and they talk about, about racism. They talk about slavery and what we did. We struggled as psychologists to try to figure out how to explain racism to young kids. And um, the word that we finally came up with was fair, because most kids, all kids, understand what it means to be treated fairly versus unfairly. So we explained racism in terms of people being treated unfairly based upon the way they looked, their race. So the white family explains, you know, how racism developed um, as a result of slavery and that they, in fact, owned slaves and that that was wrong. Um, the black family uh, does the same thing. They talk about um, racism uh, from the perspective of a black family and being slaves um, and how hard that was for them. They also talk about the civil rights movement and how civil rights helped them to be able to overcome um, slavery. Um, the dad has a lot of emotions about, you know, how, how badly it felt, you know, to you know, as a black man in America to be mis mistreated. The uh, young boy also has an older brother who says, I could just be stopped because I'm black. I bet they didn't even, I bet that um, they wouldn't have stopped me if I were white. Um, so, you know, it's a very, um, I guess I'd say moving and open um, story with each parent trying to really encourage their kids to stand up for people who are treated unfairly. 
they gave examples. Suppose you were with a little girl, suppose you were um, in class and everybody in class was invited to a birthday party. How would you feel about that? Okay. Little girl, she said she would feel sad. She would feel bad about it. It would be unfair. Okay. And the little boy talks with his older brother about how he had to stand up for him because people were teasing him that he wore glasses. Okay. So that really does provide an opportunity for both kids who are in the same classroom at school to really be able to show how, show what they learn from their parents. When a young, a new student joins their class, this new, new student appears in the illustrations to be of Indian de descent. And we don't specify, you know, if he's Eastern Indian or if he's Spanish, we don't specify any of that. We just say that, you know, he doesn't appear to speak, he doesn't seem to speak the language very well. And, um, it's to the point where the kids are going outside for recess and um, everybody's choosing um, people to be on their soccer teams. And the um, team, team captains decide not to choose the new kid because they don't think he could play very well at all. And they're really, you know, making statements based upon how he looks, you know, that are unfair. And both of the kids, the girl and the boy, main characters, you know, they step up for the new kid because it's not fair that he's being treated like that. And um, in that way, you know, they create a new pattern of friendships, you know, in their school. One thing we did very early on in the book was talk about the pattern of racism as a bad habit, a habit that started back um, in slavery and that's continued throughout present day. And so the uh, boy and the girl decide they want to establish a new habit of being open and friendly and fair to everyone, not based upon the way they look. So that okay. um, is basically the story. It's I think it's brilliant because it's you you it's like how do we have these conversations and and the it's a big question we're having is how do we have these conversations and we walk through two different families having these conversations and the whole idea of us having these different perspectives is so valuable the the perspective of the adolescent you know brother or sister is so valuable of the dad of all the and and the way you guys set it up with these different perspectives it, it really makes it an invaluable resource Thank you. um yeah so i i want to i want to talk about this these ideas and and i think that books and these these are resources like your book which unfortunately is not available right now because it's in such high demand but there are so many books and things that are are, are resources are a great way for us to start but i know that right now there we've seen so much suffering people's hearts are breaking people are angry and rightfully so there's so much happening all around the world we're seeing the world is acknowledging the incredible suffering that our the the black and brown people in America have been undergoing for you know for so long and it we're all waking up to that and i'm seeing people wake up to it in many many different ways and in my friend circles and my clients in all kinds of different ways and i know people ha are saying we need to talk about this with our kids. Like, obviously we need to talk about this with our kids because when we don't talk about it, we're say, sending this message that it's like, this is something that's so horrible that we shouldn't even talk about it, right? And so we're figuring out that we have to talk about it. But people, I know some of the questions as I've asked people about this, like people um, feel uncomfortable about 
when to bring this up. How old should our kids be to bring this up? Uh, white families feel like I, I feel trouble finding the, um, the telling other people's stories, right? Or, or not having the, like the context, right? To, to, to sort of bring this up again. So let's, uh, just to open up this conversation about how, what are, what are some of the ways, I mean, let's, maybe let's start it with, um, with age. Like what are, what are some of the ages that the, where it's important, you know, and what age is your book geared toward and what, what age should we start talking about these issues with kids? Children are going to notice racial differences pretty young, two or three, uh, because they're based on skin color and hair and things that are noticeable. Uh, and just like kids notice boy versus girl, although maybe there's a, a little more gender neutrality going on and it may not be so obvious anymore, but, but kids are interested in that stuff and they're going to bring, bring it up and ask, you know, very in, in, innocent questions. Well, you know, why is that boy's skin brown? Um, part of what's happened in the past is that I, I think mostly white parents have been so anxious about this area that they have often shushed kids from just asking those questions and, and given the message that you mentioned that there's something, you know, so scary or so taboo about talking about this. So at an, at an early age, at the three and four-year-old age, what we encourage parents to do is just you know, talk about that openly uh, in a matter-of-fact way. Um, that, you know, people have different skin colors, that that depends on, you know, who their parents were and their ancestors and where they lived. And, you know, depending on whether you've got a little junior scientist, you can teach them about melanin and, you know, how, how that uh, different amounts of melanin, you know, protect you from the sun. Um, so that's, you know, lesson number one is just respond to children's observations, you know, in a matter of fact way. And then I think... Uh, well, thinking the, about um, that, like what if, I mean, we live in pretty segregated worlds, right? Like mm -hmm. some kids are, you know, uh, I'm thinking about like suburban kids, they may not encounter people of different races for a long time. So if you're, if you're say a white family in that situation, would you encourage people to, what would you say, I guess, in that case? Stay tuned for more Mindful Mama podcast right after this break. We are supported by Grassroots Farmers Cooperative. So it's June and here in Delaware, we are wanting to cook out. My daughter's really into camping and and for me, I'm really conscious and aware of like where I get my meat. And I don't want to be supporting factory farms. I want to be really conscious and thoughtful about how I get my meat. And I also want it to taste good. So, you know, with all of the concerns about meat right now, from processing conditions to supply chain issues, I want you to know that there is a better way to source our meat. Grassroots Farmers Cooperative. I am so impressed with them because they are totally committed to transparency from pasture to plate. They even have a QR code on each piece of meat that you can track its exact source. Grassroots Farmers Cooperative is made up of small U.S.-based family farms who handle every part of the meat production 
process, which makes them a resilient, trustworthy source for the meat with less risk for disruption in the supply chain. And they are very thoughtfully caring for their land and their animals, which means a lot to me as somebody who's really conscious about not wanting to eat like tons of uh, inhumane uh, meat that's sourced from a terrible place. The Grassroots Farmers Cooperative is incredibly thoughtful about their land care and their animals. They replenish valuable nutrients in the soy, soil and they're raising their animals on pastures in microherds. They prioritize the life of their animals, employee welfare, and food safety, which results in delicious, nutrient-rich meat from a source you can trust. We made burgers the other night, and this is what my 13-year-old had to say. Those were good burgers. I invite you to order Grassroots Farmers Cooperative today. No subscription is required. And right now, they're giving our listeners a special limited-time offer, $40 off, plus free shipping. So please go to grassrootscoop.com slash hunter to get the full details and order today. Go now. That's grassrootscoop.com slash hunter. I am proud to have them as my sponsor, and I feel really good about ordering their meat. And I hope you will too. Support this podcast and get amazing meat by ordering from Grassroots Farmers Co-op. That's grassrootscoop.com slash hunter. Well, you you bled into my point number two <laughs> perfectly. <and> I, <laughs> uh, in any case, and particularly in the case if you're in a very segregated environment, um, adding diversity to the children's books that you're reading to your child, to the cartoons you're uh, putting out there for your child to watch is another great way to communicate, hey, isn't it interesting? There's all these different kinds of people from different places and um they're experiencing a lot of the same feelings and reactions you might be, but also some different experiences. So that's another thing that, that one can do early on is just to expose and children and celebrate uh, diversity um, and highlight both differences and similarities in, in experiences of uh, children with different skin colors or other um, situations. For sure, I would agree 100%. Um, you know, children's books are excellent. What, are, what does the artwork look like in your home? Um, also, what does your friendship group look like? You know, what's really important is that um, children see you interacting in environments where diversity is prevalent so that you not only talk the talk, but you also walk the walk. You know, there are lots of different kinds of uh, festivals that occur in Atlanta, going to different festivals, and just celebrating the, the wonderful differences in all the different cultures, be it food, be it artwork. But, you know, again, you know, we think it's important for kids to kind of see you interacting in a really positive and ongoing way with um, people of diverse races and ethnicities. And you're, you're right, Hunter, that that's a challenge in our society because residential and school segregation has been a part of our society. And that's, uh, you know, one aspect of the systemic 
racism that's been with us forever. Um, but parents that are serious about wanting to uh, raise children uh, in an anti-racist in a way, um, even if they live in a somewhat I mean, first of all, you think maybe about diversity when you're choosing where you live, but even mm -hmm. if you're pretty ensconced in a uh, neighborhood that's not very diverse, you know, think about where your child's going to go to do extracurricular activities, <laughs> maybe drive a little further to provide some diversity. And, you know, Marietta mentioned other cultural and sort of events you can do um, to have greater um, exposure. Yeah. And so part of, you know, it's interesting as a, as this, as the protests have, have happened around the world, I've, you know, I've have been having my own wake ups and realizations and things like that. And um, thinking about, you know, thinking about this, um, you know, having, having a, that diversity in our own lives and, and just kind of seeing, I guess, how important it is, right? Like we're, I guess we're realizing that, you know, it's not just something that we can kind of push aside, right? Like we're seeing that this is something incredibly important. This is another one of these hard conversations we have to have, like about, about sex and sexuality and, and et cetera. Like this is, this is probably another one that we, and, and also that we, I guess my own wake up that I wanted to refer to is that whole, that whole idea that I'm thinking about, about what being, uh, I, I guess I was listening to the podcast with, um, Ibrahim Kendi, what's it? And I forget his name about how to be an anti-racist and mm -hmm. talking about how you, it, there's not like a neutral ground here, right? Like you, you, that's something that you have to be active about. That's something that mm -hmm. if we want to change a generational pattern, that this isn't something that we can really ignore. It's something that we do have to be active about. And we do have to kind of make a priority a little bit, at least more of a priority probably than most people are making. Yes. Cause I think if, if parents, especially white parents don't talk about uh, that racial injustice exists uh, and that they don't agree with that and we want to work together as a family to do our part in changing things. If you, if you don't talk about that, you are, you are, you know, by default communicating that you're, you're okay with how things are, you know, it's okay with you. Um, and, and children get that message that it's not important. I would agree 100%. You know, I would even say it a bit more bluntly that if you aren't actively um, fighting against racism, you're part of the problem. You're, and you're allowing it to continue. And, um, and, we're, and it's also important to give the message to parents that um, not only did these things happen in our past, but they are continuing to happen. You know, and sometimes parents will, um, will think that, um, especially I would say white parents, that they don't want to um, destroy their child's innocence, okay? Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, black parents typically have these conversations with their children at very early ages. They continue to have these conversations, you know, out of necessity from a, from a very young age, you know, because again, you want your child to be aware of the fact that even though they're cute, you know, by default, you know, as they get older, some people are going to see them as a black boy or a black girl or a black man or a black woman, and that can be threatening to them. 
Yeah, so um, it's really important to, I think from the very, very beginning to actively, you know, be involved, you know, in um, anti-racist movements, you know, protests, you know, there are some protests that are appropriate for families and children. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some activities that you can you want your child, child to see, not only are you talking about this, but that you are actively doing things to try and uh, combat racism. Sometimes it can be scary. Children can develop anxieties and fears about this. And it's important for parents to let them know that um, we're working very hard to make this world a better place. We're working very hard to make, try to make sure that this does not continue. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I had um, Nefertiti Austin on the podcast a while back who wrote a book, wonderful book called Motherhood So White. And she was just explaining this, her experience of raising her son and that, that, you know, she told the story of that he was, you know, they were playing with Nerf guns out in the front yard of a seven-year-old birthday party. And she had to explain to her friend that the, that she couldn't allow her son to play with Nerf guns in the front yard because it could be dangerous to him. And it's, so heartbreaking and it's just such a, a wake-up call and, and it's interesting because on the other there are people who teach for parents to be more mindful that um that we want to protect our kids from the news right we want to preserve their innocence and so many of us like hold both of these in the same in the same hand right like how do we balance that like we want to we don't want to like we know that kids are so anxious these days, right? Like college kids are so anxious, like anxiety's on the rise. So how do we, how do we balance kind of telling the, you know, having these conversations with, with also maybe protecting to their innocence to a degree that, I mean, where, where would you sit? How would you walk that line? I suppose if you had little kids right now, <laughs> um, go ahead. And I don't think it's appropriate to show, graphic uh, uh, images of violence or to discuss details of uh, some types of violent acts with with young kids. Um, um, But I really think you can talk about, and we we know because we've talked to lots of kids uh, in the context of reading our book, you can talk to young kids about black people and brown people being treated unfairly and give examples of slavery. I mean, kids can understand those things without being traumatized. They can understand that it's not fair for a person to own another person, or it's not fair for a person to be forced to work and not get any pay. It's not fair for a person not to be able to go to the same schools as, as a person with a different skin color. So they can understand all of those concepts in the, in the context of fairness. Um, so um, I, you know, maintaining, as, as Marietta said, maintaining white children's innocence is is lying to them about about the world. Um, I, I think you can be honest with children about some of the difficult realities of the world without traumatizing them. And you can still, I mean, our book is a very hopeful book at the end. You can still, um, children will still maintain 
their wonder about the world. I mean, that's one of one aspect of children's innocence is just mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they notice the little things that we've forgotten were wonderful and they call that to our uh, attention. They, they'll still have all that. But, you know, let's harness children. Another part of children's innocence is they can, you know, they can st- see straight through to the core of things sometimes, you know, they'll, they'll mm-hmm. see what's really important. So they'll see, I mean, if we open the conversation, they see very clearly how unfair this is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's harness that, that energy young um, be, because otherwise um, kids notice disparities and they, they notice stereotypes. And if, if they don't have somebody ex- talking with them about, hey, okay, let's say a a white kid that lives in an upper middle class white neighborhood drives through a poorer neighborhood that's mostly brown. I mean, there's a lot of wrong conclusions (laughs) a a child can, can draw from that if nobody's talking to him about how that might have come to be, what that's Mm -hmm. about, the history Mm -hmm. of that. Um, mm-hmm. and again, uh, so, you know, I'm sorry no. to interrupt you, but I was going to say, and again, to answer your question, Hunter, um, the conversations that you're going to have with your child are going to be driven by their questions, okay? Mm-hmm. And you're going to address them in a developmentally appropriate way, okay? You're going to make sure that you're using terms that they can understand, and you're going to, again, follow their lead you know, as um, they try to understand, you know, what is happening and what is going on around. Stay tuned for more Mindful Mama podcast right after this break. This episode is sponsored by KiwiCo. I love, love, love the KiwiCo Tinker Crates and Eureka Crate. They are amazing. Recently, my daughter Sora and I, I mean, we're home in quarantine. We have not that much to do. We want to have some time away from screens and, and on those rainy days. What do you do with them that's engaging and educational and cool? And the Tinker Crate is amazing. My daughter recently did this arcade catapult thing and she created it herself and she's learning about how the rubber bands pull back and propel these things through the air. It is so cool. I've never seen something so cool for kids and you'll want them for to have your child, your grandchild, your niece or little cousin learning from home. You know, I was even really surprised at how much we loved this. So with KiwiCo crates, your child can get a super cool hands-on science and art projects delivered to their door every single month. And what kid doesn't love to get mail? You'll be so surprised at how high quality the materials are too. These are real engineering science and art projects for children. And you know, this is how we do our part to encourage our children to be innovators and creative thinkers. And they won't believe what they can build and accomplish with KiwiCo. And when they're finished, watch their confidence be as big as their smile. KiwiCo has seven lines for kids of all ages. Panda crates for kids ages zero to two, koala crates for kids ages three to four, kiwi crate for five to eight, atlas crate for six to 11, doodle crate for nine to 16, and tinker crate for nine to 16, and eureka crate. And we love ours. There's no commitment, so you can pause or cancel anytime. 
KiwiCo is redefining play with hands-on projects that build confidence, creativity, and critical thinking skills. There's something for every kid or kid at heart at KiwiCo. Get your first month free on select crates at kiwico.com slash hunter. That's K-I-W-I-C-O dot com slash hunter. I guess that's a really good point, uh, Marietta, is that we, we have, it's not that we're giving lectures. Most conversations mm-hmm. should be, be starting out with why do you think that might happen or mm. might have happened or how do you think that child might feel? Um, and, and then you can really know what your child understands or doesn't understand and, and uh, have a good sense about where to guide the conversation all right but i guess you know follow their lead and follow their questions but similarly like sex and sexuality if they're not asking questions we're not just gonna ignore them. we're gonna right, we're right. gonna like have maybe some resources or things around to have a catalyst for the conversation absolutely yes for sure and you know that you know it doesn't have to be a really big deal you know, it can certainly, it could be again, you know, you're at a grocery store with your kids, you know, and they may notice a, a black or brown person and say, oh, you know, why is that person's skin, why, why is that person so dirty? Why didn't they take a bath? You know, it's a perfect opportunity to say that person did take a bath. Their skin is a different color, you know, you know, um, because, you know, Anne mentioned melanin, you know, we're all different shades. That person is brown, you know, you are like, can. You know, there are all kinds of situations where you can begin to, you know, open up the conversation. But, you know, and, and again, by labeling, you know, that lady, look at the lady across the street. You know, do you mean the, um, the, 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 the black woman, the brown woman with the yellow scarf? And again, if it's a part of your ongoing conversations, you don't have to wait, you know, until something happens, you know, to, to start to talk about these issues with your children. Now, what about like the idea of sort of like otherness that is is inherent in this kind of thing? Like, so for instance, my nieces are are black girls. They're my, and you know, I, I, sometimes I'm hanging out with them, and I notice if we're at the beach, they're the only in Rhode Island anyway. That they're the only black girls on this whole beach, and I feel for them, and I feel awkward and uncomfortable like do I they're just I mean honest they're honestly just like playing with their cousins but I I notice that otherness and I don't know if they do and I don't know if I if there would be a conversation to start there or anything I mean just as an example for instance like when we find ourselves in situations that are sort of racially awkward like this like do you have any advice for us, I guess, as, as parents in, in some moments like this? Either Anne or, or Marietta Taylor, I'm not sure who. Anne, Anne what do you think? Yeah, Anne, why don't you go? Um, I think maybe speaking from your heart, mm-hmm. uh, saying I felt kind of awkward at the beach today because I noticed that there were no other brown people there. Was that awkward for you or not a big deal? How did you feel? 
Mm. I mean, that's a good way to start. It's like name it to tame it, right? Like those awkward, uncomfortable feelings phrase, come up. That's great. Yeah. It's, uh-huh. that's what we teach about, and like that mindfulness, right? It's like you name it to tame it. Like this is here. Ah, oh, hello. It I'm is. feeling annoyed right now. That's here, and it helps yeah. to kind of lessen it. Similar kind of thing. And it and it opens the door, you know, because mm-hmm. they may have been thinking about that and kind of wondering about it, but didn't know how to put words to it. But what you're doing is you're opening the door and, you know, I noticed that it kind of made me feel uncomfortable. How did you feel? Or it made, it was kind of awkward. And uh, you're giving them the message that it's okay to talk about these things and that, no, you know, it's not just you, you know, who had these, these strange feelings, you know, and that I'm your, I'm your aunt. You can talk to me about these things. And I noticed them too. And, you know, we, we want to, you know, make sure that, you feel okay in the environments that we're taking you in. And, you know, and another piece is to try and um, try and look at the kinds of environments that you're taking your, your children into and try to strive for env- environments that are as diverse as possible. You know, but again, I'm ignoring the reality of what is there um, sends a message that maybe I can't talk about this or, you know, this, you know, is it me or, so I would certainly so, encourage you to call it what it is. So get over our awkwardness. Name what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, and I think one of the way. reasons so many white parents, you know, feel awkward about talking about race is they're afraid of saying the wrong thing. And, and the point, you are going to say the wrong thing. You are going to flub up. <laughs> uh, but that's okay. I mean, yeah, we flub yeah. up about all sorts of things as parents. As long as you have a good heart mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and are willing to learn from your mistakes and acknowledge them, uh, because this isn't just one conversation. This is a conversation that needs to happen over and over again because it comes up in so, so many different ways. Uh, in our, in our lives together in a multicultural society. So, um, you know, you'll, you'll have a chance, you'll have a redo chance. (laughs) Yeah. I guess with our kids, I think probably we feel, a lot of people feel awkward in a lot of ways. And, and because uh, with, um, I think maybe I'll, as speaking from experience I've talked about with my friends who are of white friends saying that they, we don't want to, add any more hurt. We don't want to add any more, you know, any more a, a discomfort and anger or, any, or whatever. We don't want to add to the problem so people feel uncomfortable saying anything. But I, I, would, I would say we've been trying that approach for it's not working. <laughs> and it doesn't work. It's a, we have a fancy term in psychology, error of commission and error of omission. Error of commission is when you do something. So certainly calling somebody a, a terrible racial name, that's an error of commission, but an error of omission is not doing something mm-hmm. and not talking about racism and not doing about, doing anything about not doing our part to solve a problem we created as white people is hurting a lot of people, a lot of brown people. That's, uh, so it's, it's an, you know, it's just as hurtful <laughs> to, to not do something. Okay, it's so more let's, hurtful <laughs> let's, in some cases. Let's shift to this the, when our kids are older. What if we have adolescents? 
Um, what do we, if we have teens and, and adolescents, how, how, you know, for, let's imagine for the listener who maybe has not been having these conversations because they've been feeling really awkward. How do, how do they, how do people, how can people start these conversations and, and start to start to change things at that age? You know, I'll speak from the perspective, again, of a Black parent primarily because we've been having these conversations with our kids, hopefully, you know, from the time they were very young because we don't have the, because um, I say the privilege of not having these conversations with kids. And by the time uh, Black, um, I'll say, adolescents and preteens uh, reach that developmental stage, um, they're starting to be even more aware of their racial identities. You know, they're starting to um, try to make decisions for themselves in terms of, uh, of how to handle certain situations. They probably have, um, have had to and have, have encountered situations where um, someone may have made a remark or they may have heard um, a racist comment. So trying to figure out um, how to handle that is something that they've already started to, um, to grapple with, okay? And, you know, for, for white kids, and certainly, you know, and you can, you can speak to this, you know, but um, they may come home, let's say, and say that they, you know, you may, you may overhear them uh, repeat a racist term. You know, you may, um, just in listening to them, observe their attitudes about certain things. And certainly you want to not overlook that, you know, but to start talking about that. And again, from the perspective of, well, do you, do you know what? That means, you know, what, you know, where did you hear that? And um, um, how would you feel if uh, someone called you that name? And, you know, hopefully what you've been doing as a parent is involving your child in um, diverse groups, you know, be it a sports team, be it a club, be it, you know, some kind of religious organization, if their schooling, you know, is uh, different. You know, I'm, I'm also thinking that a lot of times in that particular age group, that's where kids may, for the first time, and start to go to school, you know, with people of different races. It may have been the case that earlier on in their preschool years and their elementary school years, they were primarily white for whatever reason, or all black for whatever reason. But usually when you move into the middle and high school um, ages, that's when um, excuse me, diversity um, within education first happens. So you know, talking to your kid about that, you know, especially, you know, as a, as a black mom, you know, I kind of grappled with that. You know, I really wanted my children to have a firm educational foundation. I wanted them to be secure. So very early in their life, I chose um, all black spiritual settings for them. But as they got older, I wanted them to be able to um, be able to relate to people across all, across other races other than black. You know, so my son's first experience in being a minority was when he went to middle school, okay? And then he he also transitioned to a predominantly white high school. So he had those kinds of experiences. And of course, you know, we were very concerned about it and we talked to him about it. You know, you know at, at times he experienced discrimination. You know, I can remember um, times when teachers would tell me, that um, his name is Joshua, that, that um, he's raising his hand. He's not giving the other kids enough time to answer questions. Um, he, he, he wants to know why aren't there, you know, any books by African-American authors on the reading list, you know? So we, you know, I would encounter those kinds of things with him, you know? And what's interesting is that with him, 
you know, he chose up uh, an HBCU of a you know historically black college university for his education because you know he had had the experience of being with um, you know being a being a minority in a predominantly white environment. My daughter, on the other hand, ended up you know staying in predominantly black environments for most of her education. You know things just changed in terms of the neighborhoods and the you know the schools and the school systems. She, on the other hand, chose predominantly white institutions for her to go to school in. So. You know, again, um, you know, be, you know, and I talked to her about that, you know, what's it going to be like for you to be, you know, the minority within a predominantly white setting? How can you be successful in that setting? So, you know, with, with children, you know, I think it's important very early on, you know, I can't say that enough to be able to develop an, an atmosphere of openness in terms of talking about race, in terms of talking about disparities, in terms of talking about discrimination. Let me um, try to respond, Hunter, to your to one aspect of your question about what if you are a white parent who hasn't done as we're recommending today, and I'll mm-hmm. stand up and say, you know, I raised my daughter years ago, and I didn't I didn't uh, address uh, racism as directly as I, I would do today, and I'm I'm uh, playing catch up with my my nephew, uh, but. Um, Anyway, I think so. If you're, you know, the parent of an adolescent who's who's realizing, oh, I I really haven't talked about this much. I think that's another situation where where naming it is a good place to start, and just saying, and certainly, teens are well aware of what's going on in our country right now, and um, probably pretty interested in it uh they may have a variety of opinions but so i'd say you know start it by saying i'm realizing we didn't we didn't talk about the racial situation in our country we haven't talked about that much as a family and i'm sort of thinking we should have talked about it more how are you you know how are you feeling uh about what's going on what kind of you know how do you think have you seen uh, things that you felt were racist in school. Um, mm. mm-hmm. How'd you feel when you saw that? Um, yeah. So, you know, I think that's a way to begin. A- another important thing, as any parent of a teenager knows, is it's an especially important uh, time not to get in a lecturing mode. So mm-hmm. really to be asking a lot of questions to help help your child express their their feelings certainly if they're on a really different page than you are you can express your feeling but um, many teens have a very keen sense of justice (laughs) sometimes you know sometimes (laughs) overly keen so this is a time that that's uh, really an opportunity to shape uh, I think um, concern and altruism Um, and you know a social justice um, orientation it is challenging for all of us in the age of covid because there's some things that we might want to do that are less easy to do right now but yeah i wanted to take my daughters to a protest i and but i was like i don't know about them mass situation and I'm normally like you know I was at the women's march in 2017 and I've taken them to the women's marches in years since and 
and we haven't done this. And I, uh, the, you know, there's just a couple of the factors kind of holding us back, but I think I could have that conversation with my daughters. I mean, I'm realizing that we didn't talk about it that much, even because I guess, because I have black nieces, I, you know, we, we got, we don't have to talk about it that much because this is in our family. Or I guess we, we had my, uh, my sister all gave me a book that, you know, we, we had some books like, but it wasn't about America. You know, I think I feel more uncomfortable about America. Like we have a great book called Africa is not a country. And it's like wonderful about like all the, it's great. Like, so we've Mm -hmm. talked about differences and people all around the world and we've seen media and things like that. But I guess I think, yeah, probably I'd have to like call myself out and that I've definitely been uncomfortable, you know, uncomfortable about directly and not realizing how important it was to directly address this with, with my kids. And I mean, we talk about a lot of things verbally, but I guess I'm thinking also like resource wise, that's such a great, so such an easy way to start. And I kind of feel like, don't like, that's such an easy way to start is when you have little kids is with these resources. Mm -hmm. And it just wasn't something that wasn't, was like, on my radar as an important thing. And I realize that's a privilege, you know, for sure. Yeah, and I was, that just reminds me that um, one of the parts of our book that people really like is uh, our note to parents and caregivers in the back of the book. It's an extensive section which um, provides all kinds of information related to resources and how to, how to answer challenging questions. You know, there um, uh, role plays, quote unquote, you know, between, you know, when children come home and ask, you know, why does, you know, all the black boys in class, you know, they always get in trouble, you know, why is that, you know, so there's, you know, if, if you know, if you're ever able to get a copy of the book, you know, you will find that, uh, <laughs> that, uh, that caregiver note section, parent and caregiver note section to be very, very helpful in terms of like answering difficult questions, how to initiate conversations. And we also have online resources that are that are updated continually again with the most up-to-date resources and things to really kind of help people along this journey. I think um, really for teenagers while in one sense parents may feel intimidated that that's going to be a challenging conversation it's really a great opportunity because teenagers love angst and strife and um, there's nothing uh, angstier than, you know, our history of, of racism in America. So, uh, you know, many teenagers, even uh, obviously teenagers of color, this is often a time where this is really, you know, they're thinking of not only about themselves, but, you know, about their community and, uh, but for for white teenagers, often are sensitive to uh, you know typical adolescent issues. You're feeling so self conscious. You're very sensitive about feeling victimized or feeling different. So they they really can identify uh, some with with. Uh, uh, with the plight of of others that have have uh, not been treated uh, fairly, so it's it's an opportunity to really join with your teenagers in discussing something that's interesting uh, to them and feels important to them. The, you know, from lots of teenagers, we we hear when as therapists, you know, my parents don't talk about you know anything real. Everything's so you know superficial and materialistic. So this is a chance to talk about something real and and to engage with your teen about something important. I really appreciate everything that 
you're saying and then i'm i'm hoping you know dear listener that you're you know you're getting some light bulbs uh, along with me that you know as parents as of younger children we can just really open up these conversations with resources or with just you know and i and part of it is for us parents like to you know to to that awkwardness is you know get over it okay you know that's like a, a lame thing to say but like it's just like that's gonna be there that's gonna be part of yeah. it right that's oh, yeah. gonna that oh, discomfort yeah. is gonna be part of it but we can do hard things and it's to, you know taking the step to do hard things is what is required to change old patterns that aren't working whether they're systemic in our country or whether they're they're in our families um now yeah. I guess my uh, one other sort of question I had about this thinking about who who is listening and who is asking questions. Um I um I have a client whose husband is a police officer and they are suffering enormously because of what's happening and 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 uh he he just wants to go live on an island far away somewhere I think. Um and um but I think uh, I'm not sure that you would say that anything different would apply to to families of law enforcement. There's still these conversations that we need to have in a lot of different ways. Uh, is that what you would say? Oh, I would agree 100%. And, you know, and also within our book, even though we talk about the fact that a policeman shot this uh, Black man, we also make the point that all policemen are not bad. And, you know, even within the Black family, um, they talk about the fact that I think one of mom's friends is a, is a policewoman. And, um, but, you know, certainly no different for policemen. You know, we've had, you know, different people react, you know, to our book and said, you know, what are you saying about police officers mm -hmm. here? But we really feel we're pretty nuanced, you know, in how we present that. I don't know if you had any comments, Anne. Well, it is a challenge. We, uh, some people have asked, oh, did you have to start with a police shooting? And yes, we really felt like we did yeah, because yeah. Uh, disproportionate police shootings have been the symbol and the reality of, <laughs> of uh, racism for uh, black families. And, um, and that's in part because they're a very visible um, arm of, of government and they've been used to, you know, obviously they were used to enforce segregation uh, back in the day. Um, but we also know that being a policeman is a very tough job. Uh, most policemen got into the job because they wanted to help people and help communities. Um, lots of little black boys and black girls want to grow up to be <laughs> policemen and police. I women. hope they, they do. Yeah. So even yeah. though, you know, yeah, there's a very complex relationship between mm -hmm. the, the black and brown community and, and the police. Um, but, um, you know, police need to treat people fairly and, uh, um, um, you know, that's, that's, one of the changes that needs needs to happen, um, but I mean, we do recognize that in some in some sense they become the symbol of everything that's wrong, and we need to not other police either. I mean, we mm -hmm. all are. Uh, I think it's um, 
blanking on who, this is not my phrase, this is somebody else's brilliant phrase, uh, of that we all breathe the smog of, of racism. So we all have implicit bias, um, or, or the great majority of us do. The policemen just have a very tough job where uh, that bias can be, um, can get expressed in a way that means life or death for people. So they have to work on it really hard and they have to have regulations and accountability that make it, you know, difficult for that to get expressed in ways that, that kill people. Yes. So. Well, Marietta and Anne, I'm, I am so grateful that you have come on the podcast and that you have uh, done this work, you know, like your work, um, obviously as, people who care enormously about children and psychologists and, 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 and the way you've, um, way you've presented it, especially in something happened in our town, um, is so beautiful. And I, and I, I just really appreciate that you've shown the way you've shown up for, for children in honoring their, um, in honoring their hearts and their intelligence and their, um, their, they're they're wanting to be part of what's fair and what's right in the world and 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 you've done that in a really beautiful way thank Thank you you so much and thank you for for what you're doing to elevate parenting and to uh help parents parent from their hearts and Mm -hmm. nurture their Mm -hmm. children's hearts i really appreciate the way that you said that honor it was beautiful Thank you so much for listening. I just want to let you know that their book, Something Happened in My Town, is so good. And you can order it and and have it come in when the reprinting is done at Imagination Press. It's like imagination with without the I. It's Imagination Press. So go to imaginationpress.com to order Something Happened in My Town. And Dear listener, I hope this episode has been helpful and informative for you, um, as it was for me. I, I feel that there's some really clear steps that we can take. We need to start conversations in our homes. We need to get more resources into our schools and even think about our own lives. You know, it is time for us to step out of our comfort zone and start to reach across the divides, I think, you know, I think this is really important. So um, if this episode has been helpful for you, please share it. it makes an enormous difference when you, you know, you take a little screenshot on your phone and post it up on your Facebook or Instagram and tell people about what you're um, learning and give people this resource. I know it helps enormously and word of mouth is the best. I really, really appreciate it. And I, um, I hope this sparks some conversations. Uh, and I thank you so, so very much for listening. I'm wishing you peace. I'm wishing you health and wellness and some joy and laughter and all that good stuff. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening, my friend. Namaste. Are you a mom who wants to feel less stressed and enjoy motherhood more? Do you want to be calmer with your kids and be more present for life? I've gone from being stressed and yelling to become more grounded, 
more at ease and have more enjoyable cooperative relationships with my kids. I'm going to show you how to do it too. If you currently feel stuck or stagnant, this is for you. I've created a free downloadable audio training, Mindfulness for Moms, the superpower you need. It will show you how to respond rather than react, how to let go of stress and feel more grounded in seconds, how to have a smoother day today and become more present for your kids. To get this absolutely free, simply visit the website mindfulmomguide.com. That's mindfulmomguide.com. Get started with mindfulness, the superpower moms need. I'll see you there.